It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am excited to talk with my guests on the show today. Joining me are Annika Seely and Britton Manasco. They are the co-authors of a new book titled Next Era Selling, Five Strategies to Make Your Business Unstoppable. Annika is CEO and founder of Reality Works Group and co-author of a previous book called Sales 2.0. And Britton is the CEO and founder of Visible Impact. Annika and Britton, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, it's good to be with you, Andy. All right, so one at a time. We'll start with Annika. We'll go in alphabetical order. Um, just take a minute, introduce yourselves, and maybe tell us how you got your start in sales and marketing, if you will. Absolutely. I was an early employee at Oracle, and I noticed that the company really recognized and rewarded people who coded and people who sold. And given I was not a programmer, I decided that there had to be a way for me to learn how to sell and get involved with customers. And I was given the amazing opportunity to start up the inside sales organization after having many other entry-level jobs at the company. And that was at a time when the company was shifting from having very large deal size uh, sales to then having a lower end of products that could be sold in a different way. So that's how I got started in sales. Excellent. And then you wrote a book about your experiences, Sales 2.0. Yep. Which was a good book. I mean, I guess people will have to blame you for coining that term, Sales 2.0. But uh, um, yeah, so yeah, that's that's right. It's, it's sort of been uh, applied to lots of different things. So Britton, how about yourself? Yeah, I started out originally as a business journalist and uh, moved from there to work with the, the company Peppers and Rogers Group and the people behind mm -hmm. that. Don Peppers, Martha Rogers coined the term one-to-one -one marketing. So I sort of made the shift into marketing as a consultant and uh, then went on to uh, launch my own uh, firm in which I focused on really elevating companies uh, as as thought leaders, as trusted authorities in their in their field and so forth, and uh, over the years, I've not only been the rainmaker for my own firm, but I've gotten increasingly involved and interested in some of the trends taking place in in selling, and that's where Annika and I met and um, and. Uh, decided to uh, collaborate on this project of, of writing what's going to turn out to be a series of books, but one that's coming out shortly, as you said, Next Era Selling. All right. So what was the impetus to write this particular book? We uh, got together at uh, an event, uh, American uh, Association of Inside Sales Professionals. It's the major association for uh, sellers in, in, in the inside teams. And I'd written an article about it, and we sat down over drinks during the show and just started to talk about what was happening and found we had a lot of shared interests and saw some contrarian 
perspectives that we thought needed to be stated and brought forward, things that weren't necessarily being brought to the fore at that point. And just having a sense of uh, there's, there's a big opportunity here that in some ways shouldn't be confined to inside sales or confined in the way people think about it. There's some, some big structural shifts going on that we can address in this discussion. Sure. So let's start with what are the contrarian points of view that, that you guys had that uh, you want to write about? Annika, you want to start? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just to add on to what Britton just said, there has also been a shift in the way companies are thinking about sales forces. And with changes in buyer preferences and new technologies and new communications preferences, we're really seeing that companies, whether they're calling it digital transformation, cloud transformation, or the virtual selling imperative, which is Britain's term, there is, there's a strategic shift going on in organizational design in sales forces. Mm-hmm. And so perhaps the most disruptive way to think about it is when we first started our consulting business in um, you know, 25 years ago, people looked at what we did at Oracle and said, can you just build me an inside sales organization that looks like what you did at Oracle with a sales development organization and a quota carrying organization and an inside sales team that's partnered with the field sales organization that maybe um, gets into strategic accounts more easily. And that was sort of considered a tactical and off to the side initiative. Nowadays, people are looking, I should say CEOs and their VPs of strategy, VPs of sales and marketing are looking at a competitive advantage of reorganizing their sales force to meet the demands of today's buyers. And that's why we researched and interviewed for two years straight on top of our corporate experiences and our consulting experiences the recurring themes that we then summarized into the five strategies that we wrote about. And we wrote about them specifically for an executive audience to match what's happening in our consulting practices, which are C-level led strategic transformation projects around sales, marketing, and customer success. So, so okay. So what was, sir, let's say I'm always interested in a contrarian point of view. What did you guys see that you thought others weren't seeing? in terms of what was developing, how this was evolving? Well, what we saw was the combination of five different strategies, some of which are well understood, especially by smaller, faster-moving companies, the so-called digital disruptors, many of the SaaS companies um, that we see with the amazing um, financial metrics um, coming out of Silicon Valley and New York and other places. I should say Austin, right, Britain, <laughs> to give credit to your homeland. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're not well understood necessarily by larger companies. They could be legacy companies in technology or they could be completely outside of technology. But because technology is becoming such an important part of every business, most companies, regardless of their business, want to understand how these these small, fast-growth SaaS companies are growing so quickly 
and becoming market leaders. And that, I think, is one of the big ahas. But I want to hear uh, Britain's add-on to that comment. Yeah, I, I think the... Um these fast growth venture backed companies have have taken on this idea of selling digitally socially virtually uh, with with great uh, energy mm-hmm. and it's it's a, it's it's a strong point for them because what you find is that there's a, an accelerated path to learning and and when I say learning uh, learning is a business learning what new market opportunities might pay off, which ones may not work, uh, what skills are critical, uh, who's performing, who isn't. There's just this accelerated uh, nature to having your, your teams co-located, if that's how they, they structure it. They tend to have a very co-located digital inside sales team. And then, and then the outside team is more peripheral, but they start with a, a very heavy emphasis on the inside team. And that's enabled them to, to penetrate new markets and test hypotheses at, at, a, at a rapid rate and, and learn as an organization. Now, what's interesting when you get into the more uh, established companies um, is um, you find that they're, they've been around for a long time and they have a structure that's very different, maybe heavily reliant on field teams and their inside teams often tend to get short shrift, less, less attention. Uh, there's less of a sense that, um, the inside team can do much more than really, uh, field leads and, and qualify opportunities for, for the field. That's the inside team. Yeah. I mean, this was, I mean, my sense was during reading the book is this is why you were still sort of evangelizing for inside sales. Uh, so that people outside the tech sectors, tech enabled world understand what the opportunity is. Yes. I mean, you have, so you have incumbents and, and you have these insurgents and everybody's confronting this, this virtual selling imperative, which is really that we're, you know, we're selling virtually, we're selling remotely, we're selling digitally and socially. I mean, there's much more taking place in a sort of networked environment and there's far less meeting that's, that's happening face-to-face meeting as a, as a percentage of overall communication and interaction. And there's lots of reasons for that. Uh, one reason is that, is that uh, buyers want this. Buyers would prefer, to, would prefer to meet remotely, at least until the deal starts to uh, develop. When we're talking about a B2B complex sale, typically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, they want to meet virtually, and, and maybe members of their buying team might be distributed. So it's not like you can go meet everybody in one place in lots of cases. Right. The second thing is that sellers want it. Um, and there's a reason. They want to drive down the cost of sales. That's one side of it. And if they can do more in a sort of digital, uh, virtual sense then their cost of sales uh, plummets relative to their overall revenue. So the ratios become much more attractive, much more profitable. And that's certainly why the Silicon Valley and the venture capitalists are demanding it for their companies. Um, But then finally, it's it's the the profession has developed and, and the technology has developed. And so that enables it. 
So buyers want it, sellers want it, and the technology and the and the profession advancing enables this this virtual selling capability to advance and and be embraced by by incumbents and insurgents it's just that the insurgents and, and the incumbents have different concerns with regard to this yeah i find it sort of ironic you know reading the book and and certainly you know seeing what else has happened on and as you talked about in terms of all the SaaS companies and had a lot of uh, founders and ceos on this show talking about the sales model is is that I don't know, gosh, 10 years ago in the Valley, you know, I was out raising money for a company and there were more than a few VCs that said basically they would never invest in a firm that had to have a sales force. <laughs> and yet here we are, <laughs> you know, five years later, you know, this is the new model with the sales force that's driving you know, the innovation and, and pushing the edge of the envelope in terms of, of revenue production. Yeah, we just need to rethink the, the sales force. And, and by the way, we believe there is an enormous upside for the field sales organization. We call it the outside upside, that field sales people are looking more and more like inside salespeople because they certainly don't go on site. They don't have to every no. single time they're meeting somebody. They're dealing with global teams. Where would you even meet? So there's a lot to be learned from the technology-enabled, data-driven nature of what inside sales has always been in other channels. Well, I think that, I mean, you've, you've been around for a while. I mean, I, I've been around for a while. I, I, gosh, spent years you know, selling large, complex enterprise systems, you know, multi-million dollar price tags. I certainly didn't travel a lot. To, <laughs> I mean, I went and traveled. I did travel a lot, but... I mean, not, not like I could have. I mean, most of my selling was done over the phone. Yep. Even then. So, I mean, you make that point. I mean, some people may look at this and say, well, what's really new? What's new is the technology and the acceptance of buyers to buy in different ways, thanks to a lot of the consumer apps. We're just, we're shifting in our behavior, and therefore we have to shift the way we sell based on the, the buyer's preferences. And what's possible in the speed and the cost effectiveness that's, that the virtual selling imperative enables. There yeah. is a level, there's a level of, of scope and sophistication uh, that's changing, too. I mean, it's just – it's a far more – it's not like the phone is anything new. But there, there's a far greater emphasis placed on getting this right and involving people uh, who are on the, out in the field in, in your networked environment. They can't just be left alone to go make or not make their quota. They've got to be on the grid, as we say in the book, whereas so many of them right now are off the grid. And those companies are vulnerable. I think that's a, a, another key thing is that this is accelerating at a pace that leaves companies who are very conventional in their approach uh, vulnerable. And so the re, the re the shift in, in where resources are going, where the money is moving, and the, the restructuring and redesign of, of sales organizations, particularly the the incumbents and, and the established companies, they've got to go through some sometimes wrenching changes in that regard. And and the insurgents, these these dynamic younger companies have to grow up. And so they're trying to figure out how to be more sophisticated 
uh, in their account strategies. And that maybe explain why we hear so much about account-based this and account-based that. Right. Which, again, is, is somewhat of a, to some degree, is a repackaging, but it's also, given the, the use of technology, is completely different. Yeah, and I, I think we have to remember that we didn't always have the visibility at the sea level. Um, I think you have in your profile, Andy, that you weren't really thought of as salesy when you first started in sales, that correct, you were introverted and analytical. I mean, these are the skills of sales 2.0 leaders. They're both artists and scientists. And the C-suite appreciates the measurability, the predictability, the metrics of the kind of selling we're talking about. So we've been elevated from some tactical function that sells low-end stuff or generates leads for the field sales organization to a strategic C-level initiative in more and more projects that we see today. On top of that, the stuff that we grew up with in Silicon Valley in New York and Austin and other places that are advanced technologically have not made it to you know, all of financial services, manufacturing, healthcare, these are really new concepts. Oh, yeah. So how do we, how do we get these other sectors to start embracing this? They're, I think what happens is that they see success stories in, in peripheral fields. That's one thing. But then some of the more conservative sectors also have uh, companies that embrace new strategies. Um, I know Granger, for instance, uh, in the supply field, mm-hmm. which has been around forever, is going through a pretty um, far-reaching uh, transformation on this front right now, where it's it's shifting from a reliance on on conventional field salespeople to much more investment on uh, inside digitally enabled salespeople, and. You know, this kind of thing, even in a a more old line industry, gets noticed and starts to influence how how things are done. It just takes one successful player that's driving out the cost of sales and getting superior returns and uh, uh, superior valuations in the eyes of Wall Street, for instance. And everyone starts to take notice. So this will be something that we, we should be looking for in the next few years is Wall Street analysts starting to ask questions about this, uh, starting to say, you know, uh, tell us about your, your sales structure and your sales design. It's not something they typically asked about in the past. It was sort of a black box to them. But this is going to become more important. And I would say one, there's one other factor, which is these private equity firms are are uh, taking companies private and restructuring them and and redesigning them and they're using these capabilities uh, to give their companies a lift to make them more valuable to do things they couldn't do in the glare of 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 Wall Street in the past so there's some factors that are are driving this sort of structural shift and if if you're if you're winning and you're applying them. Uh, then, then the others, the the laggards, will will follow or die. Well, so one of the questions, I guess, becomes is how do you guys, through your research and what you know, is how do you see, you know, the SaaS sales model? We'll call it that for now. This inside sales model, or or uh, you know, the uh, inside upside that you talk about, or even the hybrid. I mean, how do you how do you see that evolving? 
right? Because there's there's I was at the Saster conference in February, and and some guy sat down next to me, introduced each other, and he had DPS sales at a pretty successful SaaS uh, business, and you know he turns to me and says, you know, this is just not this is not sustainable. This business model, you know, we're burning through prospect pools. You know, it's a focus on quali- quantity versus quality. You know, the usual litany of things. So, where do you see this this evolving to? Yeah, I'm, what you mentioned is definitely one issue, and having almost an account based marketing approach in a high volume environment is a holy grail. And hopefully things like predictive analytics plus good messaging will help address that. Um, From a structural standpoint or a strategy standpoint, we talk about walls and ceilings in the inside upside chapter, Mm -hmm. right? Specifically. Sort of legacy restrictions on inside sales, right? Exactly. Why are we saying that you can only sell something 50K and under from an inside sales model? It's just proven that we can do much more than that. And, Companies like Oracle are, are breaking those um, ceilings down. Uh, we restrict territories. We cap compensa- compensation. We even um, are opening up the office door to let people travel to their customers now and again. And we're seeing this hybrid model emerge where there really is a blending of inside and field sales. It's just... You do what, what's necessary for the deal and that customer and what works financially and do the right thing. And typically, salespeople who have grown up in the, the digital or virtual or inside sales model know how much more productive they can be by not traveling. So they restrict their travel unless they really have to travel to close a deal or they have a closer partner or they have a reseller partner. And these are the models that we're seeing emerging. There's a lot of creativity and experimentation around how you blend the inside and the, the outside. And I'd like to come back to the, this wall that, that the SaaS companies are, are hitting. And I think that's what you're describing there, Andy, is um, it seems that they, they've recognized that their, their current approaches are not you know, as you said, not sustainable because you lose people over time. As much as you focus on retention in a superior fashion to traditional uh, software companies, um, you it's you just can't retain enough to keep that engine going, and so they're struggling with it. And you know, we talk about this in the book: the concept of expansion revenue uh, that was coined by David Scott, who's mm-hmm. a great thinker in that arena but it's just the recognition that if you're going to be sustainable profitably sustainable then you're going to have to pursue larger accounts you're going to have to go deep and wide within existing accounts and and to some extent this whole fascination with account based marketing i think could be seen as a kind of uh indicator that the model the saas model as we previously conceived it was not enough that that in fact these companies have to grow up, or and and pursue uh, more s- sophisticated accounts, bigger accounts, and if they're going to survive, and that's why they're making these investments in sales and marketing work working together to pursue key accounts, 
And I think that might be interesting coming from uh, some of these innovative companies to see what they do differently than what traditional companies have done around strategic account management, which has been around for quite a long time, right? Oh, yeah. No, I think you take an example like uh, Cloudera. I mean, Lars Nilsson there, they've, yeah, their account-based sales development model is, is you know, I think night and day different from what most SaaS companies are using for their new business development model. And for the complex sale, it's it's extremely sophisticated, incredible feedback loop, you know, great analytics, and seems to be very effective. Uh, and it could be something to me. It seems very transferable outside of of uh, you know tech. And as you talk about financial services, manufacturing, you know, any of healthcare, any of the other major verticals that are out there. But on the other hand, there's still you know the bulk of the SaaS market, at least to my way of viewing, is is still. You know, just polluting the inboxes with sort of these undifferentiated messages. And, you know, I'm just sort of thinking, okay, well, what's the future of that, right? I mean, on the enterprise side, you see it, but what's what's the future of that? Because that, you know, they're at danger of turning off customers. I mean, I I deliberately sign up for mailing lists just to see, because I'm in the business, just to see what I get, right? What's I get in somebody's cadence? And it's like, oi. Well, they're going to have to get far more focused on who they're serving, and and I think that's going to be one shift is that they're either going to have to pick verticals or or just get you know far more focused and figure out what is the what is the large account opportunity for them you know what what is what is the the mix look like but um, this kind of crazy cadence behavior right now like you say like send out a whole bunch of messages. Um, and, and then follow up with lots of calls and voicemails and, and, you know, hit them, hit them over the head seven, eight, nine times, uh, oh, you know, without any particularly differentiated messaging. I think that's, we're, we're starting, to, we're starting to see a problem with that. I think, yeah. uh, the, the zone is being flooded. Yeah. Well, and I think on the high end, you guys, you know, the, with the virtual selling imperative, yeah, I just was speaking to Brent Adamson last week on the show, and it's it's like, yeah, I mean, this it melds very well with what they're talking about, the challenger customer. I mean, you've got these large, increasingly large, they're talking about now and stuff, 5.4 you know, stakeholders, you know, decision, their latest research says it's 6.8 and growing, right? So, you know, these people are located, as you said, geographically diverse locations, you can't travel to see all of them. I mean, what this, the methodology you describe in the book is, is right on for that type of, of complex sale. And, and when you make choices about who you will serve and, and who you won't, you can get much deeper into their world. You can bring insights and perspectives, and you can deploy um, senior-level thoughtful thought leaders, really. And we talk about this in the book, and um, one of the strategies that we talk about is called networked specialization. And this is just part of being a networked company that deploys deploys its experts at the right time. And one of those experts might be the person who is the subject matter expert or the thought leader. You know, somebody who's publishing, who's speaking, who who brings a certain gravitas. And if I'm a salesperson and I want to grow the account and I want to get to more senior level people, I'm going to bring in my thought leader. Uh, to to represent my company and and challenge you know the status quo that that prospect is is engaged in. But to do that well, you've got to have acumen, you've got to have insight, you've got to have pers- perspective 
uh, on on those particular kinds of accounts. You can't just be uh, just wildly, uh, you know, hitting the market in a mass sense. You've got to be very specific to to bring insights and and challenge effectively. And so, what you talk about in the book is is fundamentally, you know, to use the catchphrase, I guess that. Jim Miller or John Miller Engagio talks about it's the account based everything. Yes, precisely. Well, that'll be interesting to see how these parties come together. I mean, that's I think that's what's 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 interesting about um, you know just this sort of co-location that you have. We call that in the book. We call that front office fusion. Mm-hmm. So there's this interplay between sales, marketing customer success teams, account teams, and they might, there's some advantage to them just being co-located and, and having the sort of managers walking around sort of in, encouraging this sort of interaction, collaboration, and alignment. And um, Well, it's really redesigning the functions, right? I mean, to me, I think what you're talking about in a lot of ways is, is sort of a substantial sales process re-engineering taking place. Across these functions, not just sales, but as you said, the co-location of functions, marketing, customer success, and so on. Yeah, you're redesigning to try and eliminate the the silo effect that might have otherwise, uh, you know, grown out of a growing, you know, a, gro- a growing company would have sort of gravitated to silos, or a larger established company might be stuck in them. And that's a great deal of what's going on here with this sort of restructuring and redesign, is to figure out how are we going to collaborate more effectively? How are we going to align more effectively on behalf of the customer? How, when do I deploy different experts and when mm-hmm. do I? Because I can't train my salesperson to be every everything. In fact, we're loading them up with more and more asks in terms of what they're supposed to do, and that's a danger. As opposed to figuring out what what how are we going to deploy specialists at the right time in the right way, so that we can guide the buyer in a way that's that's truly. Uh, successful and satisfying from their perspective, and they keep in mind the buyer has you know five point three or whatever members of a decision team, and they all have different perspectives. So this is becoming a very you know increasingly complex process that can't be managed by a single salesperson. And this uh, also yeah. speaks to the uh, elevation of this type of work. We can't fix front office fusion by reorganizing the sales organization alone. This is a C-level or, you know, chief customer officer or chief strategy officer level um, functional project to make sure that the organizations are aligned in terms of metrics and goals and compensation and processes and handoffs and all the things that make the strategy work in implementation mode. And communication is a big part of that. Sometimes there just isn't time or isn't the inclination. And it's what we bump up against in almost every consulting project that there's almost always, especially in a large complex organization, opportunity for improvement to get these functions working together so that the customer has the best experience with your business. And I think one of the keys to that, that that you really bring out in the book as you read through it, is that the way to do that is to have each group really do less, right? Be more focused, do less. 
least yeah. that's, that's the interpretation I have of it is, is that you, know, you have to make it their responsibilities more focused and completely unambiguous. Quality, not quantity. And we've gone way over on the uh, cadence and activities and metrics and science side since the publishing of Sales 2.0. <laughs> and now it's time to move the needle back towards art and personalization and, you know, really intimate connections that exactly. we're not experiencing right now with a lot of inside sales implementations in particular. Yeah, I mean, the personalization is, you know, we talk, we hear vendor after vendor talks about, you know, we, we can support personalization in a way no one else does, but it's still basically a mail merge functionality with putting their first name in the email. Exactly. If you're trying to do it at scale. Um, yeah, right. I mean, I think that, that one of the things I really liked about your book, too, is what you guys wrote is that, just the point you just made, is that, yeah, the, this, as you talk, the intimacy of the relationship that you have with the buyer, even you have all this technology, even though it's virtual, the importance of that is not diminished in any way. In fact, in some respects, it's actually heightened because it is virtual. And how you build that that relationship, how you establish credibility and trust and so on is arguably more difficult when you're doing it virtual. Yeah, how do you make somebody feel important when you're sending the same message to 50,000 people? <laughs> yeah, well, even in a, in a complex world, you know, where you're having a, a good maybe opening initial sales conversation, one of your initial sales conversations with you know, various stakeholders, and you know, maybe in some cases you do have capes to do it uh, you know, through video, maybe in some cases just uh, on a phone. You know, how do you establish that relationship? You know, how do the body language isn't there? You're relying more on, as you said, the virtual ways of doing things. It's it, there is an art there that that I said is perhaps even more difficult to master than it is if you can be face to face. Have you experienced somebody doing it well, Andy? <sighs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think it's, I think it's hard, but I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I go back to my own experience. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I spent years doing that where you had to build relationships with the people. You know, we wouldn't get on a plane to fly to Asia after one phone call with a prospect. Right. You know, we would, we would have to work that. And then, I hate to say this was in some cases before email. Um, you know, we have to work that relationship in a way that, that, uh, you know, was virtual. Yeah. And before you invested the money to get on a plane to go see them. So I, I think it's been around. I think we, we sort of go through a cycle where we tend to get excited about the fact that, yeah, technology can take care of that. And, yeah, I like to say it, technology will take you, to use the old telecom term, you know, it doesn't handle the last mile. Mm-hmm. You know, technology is great to get us to that last mile, but that last mile, we still got to do some selling. And that's where the art really comes in. And a sales force is still important, right? Of course. For many products, not for every, but for many. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot of different opinions about what's going to happen with the sales force. Um, but I mean, more and more, you know, as, especially on the, the enterprise side, yeah, you're not hearing people say, yeah, we're going to replace all of these sales folks. This is, no, they, they're going to maybe have to be reskilled, as you talk about. They may have to be much more of a specialist, and this is what I, I have. I think if you're a generalist, your future is imperiled. But I think to the degree that you can develop yourself to have more specialized knowledge, to add value to your customers, then you're saving your spot. Yeah, yeah and I think even one kind of specialization is, is ironic, but 
I think to, just to be greater at at packaging up the expertise within your firm, to draw on the experts, the, the sort of networked experts that you have at the right time in the right way and recognize that is your expertise, is to essentially pull those things together on behalf of the client and, and deploy the right expert at the right time and, and make sure that goes well. Yeah, and I think that, that there's always been a skill to that, actually. But I, I think part of that is, is what happened is that, again, you know, just my point of view is that we've become so infatuated with the process that you know, in a large, complex environment, as uh, Barbara Weaver-Smith writes about in her new book, is you know, the, the longer the sales cycle, you know, the harder it is to have any sort of forecastable, predictable steps right beyond a certain point because you just don't know. And you're dealing with these large, you know, buying groups that could be diversified geographically all around the world. You know, that that eliminates some of the predictability. So some of the skill, some of the experience comes to bear, just as you said. All right, in that environment, when's the right time to bring these experts to bear? You bet. It's an interesting it's an interesting trade-off in a way. It's like the bigger the account gets, in some ways the less predictable it gets. Absolutely. Relative to, you know, the transactional type of work. But the transactional type of work in a B2B environment, as we were talking about with these SaaS companies, is not enough. You've got to find a portfolio. You know, it's, there's a portfolio of activity. Some of it's transactional and, and some, of it's, some of it's not. Some of it's key account based and that's mm-hmm. going to be it's going to be less predictable but just by nature you try and make it as as predictable as you can you try and get as aligned as you can you 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 try and ensure people commit and and communicate effectively i think that's part of you know how this will evolve is seeking still greater alignment and and, and commitment and communication so that uh, these deals, which are inherently less predictable, become more predictable than they otherwise would have been. Well, I think what you do is you, you still focus on the predictability on the top of the funnel. I mean, they're the methodology you know, in terms of discovery and so on. But it's, as you said, as the deal progresses longer, bigger deals, more complex, longer sales cycle, yeah, then the predictability quotient serve goes down. But you should still be able to have more predictability at the top of funnel with your BD or your business, new business development functions. Yes. So, all right. And so now we're going to go to the last segment of the show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And you guys can decide who's going to answer this question or you can jointly answer it. So it's a hypothetical scenario I pose. And in this scenario, you've just been hired as VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out. And the CEO and the board are anxious for things to turn around. So what two things could you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? I'll jump in there, Britton, and you can add on. Um, talk to my sales team and talk to my customers would be the two things. Love it. Very concise. Britton, anything to add? <laughs> well, I think that's absolutely right. And and your your job when you're in there first is to go go on a fact-finding mission. It's to to gain insights into what's happening in your market and what's happening in, in the enterprise. And as you do that, you're, you're asking the right questions, you're putting together a plan, and you're involving other parties. 
uh, whether it's your your marketing leaders, your 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 customer success leaders, care leaders, of course your CEO, your your involved CFO, you're involving these parties in 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 your decision making, in your in your planning, and so forth. You're involving them in the plan. And that enables you to go forward with confidence. It's when, it's when a sales leader just kind of goes off on their own and doesn't really forge these, these critical relationships and just thinks of themselves as a specialist or a hired gun that things go awry. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the opportunity that you have to, to span boundaries and, and get everyone focused on a shared plan, and you've got you've got a honeymoon period in which to do that. Uh, eventually, you you know, very soon, you're going to have to be out there executing. But mm-hmm. this is the first thing you do. There's no question. Now, okay. followed closely by looking at the sales cycle metrics right. and dashboards. And but you only got you only got <laughs> like, two things, though. Yeah. Okay. Well, can I combine? Can I concatenate? Sure, you can concatenate. Yeah. <laughs> I should have said listen, not talk to. That's a, that was a bad choice of words. I know. We've already noted that, by the way. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here's some rapid-fire questions. You can give me one-word answers if you want. Um, so I'll ask the first to Annika. So when, Annika, you are out selling, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Curiosity. Okay. Britton, how about you? When you're out selling, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Good communicator. Uh, the ability to kind of lock on to what people are saying and play off of that or, or offer some perspective on that, ask, ask a, an insightful question or make an insightful comment. Um, so I'm, I'm having a lot of fun in working in LinkedIn in that regard. Okay. It's a great medium for it. It is. All right, next question. I'll ask Annika first. Who's your sales role model? My sales role model is Steve Jobs. Britton, how about you? I guess I got to say Benioff, Mark Benioff, Mark and Benioff. Annika. Annika can add to that. You've got a, a connection to that to Mark Benioff, right? Yep, Mark used to work for me. I was his first sales manager right out of college. <laughs> right out of college. Very excellent. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. So, what besides your own? What's one book every salesperson should read? Annika, we'll start with you. I'd say Originals by Adam Grant. Oh, I haven't heard that one. Adam Grant. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great book, especially if you want people to think outside of the box. Excellent. Okay, that's going on my list. And Britton? Well, I really liked Daniel Pink's To Sell as Human. Okay. He's, he's, he's not a sales expert per se, but no. uh, it was interesting to have him take a look at the field. Yeah, no, that was fairly interesting. All right. Uh, last question for both of you then is what music's on your playlist these days? <laughs> Annika? Whatever Britain tells me to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. She, she's punting to you, Britain. What's music's on your playlist? Well, soon to appear on Spotify, my my sons have a band um, called the Wayfarers Club, and so uh-huh. I'm really enjoying them because I hear I am in Austin, which is a great yes. music city. Yes, and so love their music. All right, the Wayfarers Club. Well, gosh, off to is it available online anywhere at all now? It it'll be up soon. Sure. All right. 
All right. We'll have to stay in touch and and get that. That sounds very interesting. All right, guys, I want to thank you for being on the show. My guests, Annika Seeley and Britton Manasco, authors of the new book, New Era Selling. Uh, Tell folks how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Yeah, that's, uh, Andy, that's Next Era. Next Era. I'm sorry. Next Era Selling. Okay. All right. I am A. Seeley at realityworksgroup.com or at Annika Seeley on Twitter, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, that that's a good place to find me, Britton, B-R-I-T-T-O-N, Manasco, M-A-N-A-S-C-O, uh, and LinkedIn is is probably the best place to find me. And and I want to encourage all of your listeners to go get an excerpt, special excerpt from the book, which you will find at nextiraselling.com. All right, excellent. Good. And I urge people to go out and get that and read it as well. So again, thank you for being on the show. And friends, thanks for listening today. And remember, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is take a minute and subscribe to this podcast, Accelerate. And that way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guests today, Annika Seeley and Britton Manasco, who shared their expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Till next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.